0: I heard the other day someone say, what's the big deal? It's just another day. One more sunrise and sunset. Just an arbitrary date on that old Gregorian calendar. Just another day. Well, it was obvious to me they have never tasted my wife's New Year's Day gumbo and black iron skillet cornbread, which she makes every New Year's, and which, by the way, is brewing right now, and I can't wait to to get home to taste it. I mean, I'm happy I'm here right now, but uh, I'll be glad when I taste that gumbo. Or I remember my Aunt Eva's black-eyed peas and cabbage. And the black-eyed peas always had uh, wonderful okra. Some of you don't like that, that slithery okra, but I sure enjoyed it. And uh, fat back and other uh, very healthy things in there. And uh, but she also had a black iron skillet and that had the cornbread. and Oh, boy, howdy. There were crumbles of bacon all in the uh, cabbage, too. Well, am I preaching a sermon or giving a a food TV ad? It is special, but not just for my wife's gumbo or whatever food's on your plate today. It represents the opportunity... And you're right, I guess it could be any day, but it is New Year's Day. It represents an opportunity to reflect and to go forward. And there's no better place to do that than chapter 3 of Philippians The Book of Joy, because the word joy is mentioned so many times in this book. It's called the Book of Joy by some theologians, commentators. And chapter 3 in particular does exactly what many of us do on New Year's Day. We reflect on what has gone behind and then we look forward to what lies ahead. But the way that Paul does it, of course, is inspired by God, breathed out by God, so that we literally have a divine instruction for our New Year's Day on how to release the past and embrace a new future in God. And there are two steps to that, because clearly in the passage there are two great movements. A first movement, and then Paul pivots to the second movement. The first movement is reflecting on the past, and then he pivots toward the future. And let's examine that. And, and I want to put it like this, and it is extraordinarily helpful for those who are dealing with spiritual wounded, woundedness, who are carrying emotional uh, or, or spiritual uh, remorseful baggage, and you're trying to add some new resolutions to your life, some new things that you want to make right in your life in the future, but in fact you're going into the future with bags still weighing you down from the past, and Paul The Holy Spirit through Paul today helps us to see how we can move forward into the future as free men and women and boys and girls in Christ. And the first way we do that uh, to, to, to quote Paul himself is to do this, is to look out for the dogs. That's literally a quote from the Apostle Paul. Where he says in verse 2, look out for the dogs. It is a pejorative term that he uses for these hounds from hell that are barking at him and the church. And these vicious creatures that are barking their heretical sounds, their heretical, their snarling Uh, Or Judaizers in this case, who are requiring that in order to be right with God, you must demonstrate your rightness with God through certain religious ceremonies from the Old Testament. Now, there were certain religious rites and ceremonies instituted by God from the Old Testament, but never were the signs themselves supposed to save? Never. Never in the old covenant were the signs supposed to save. The signs were just that. The signs were to point to salvation. So you never were to mechanically move things through any of the ancient sacraments, if you will, any of the ancient liturgies, if you will, just mechanically move through it and say, Waha, I, uh, voila, I'm now in a right relationship with God. That is justification by works. And Paul says, these are dogs. And then he, he actually uses another pejorative term based upon one of those ceremonial acts, and he calls them the mutilators, because of course he's talking about the act of, of circumcision, and that is a right which was commanded, and it is a right which was commanded, and it is an initiatory right which is commanded, which is to continue to the end of the world. We've done it here through baptism. It is a sign of initiation, a sign of entrance into the kingdom of God, which was updated to water baptism, the bloody sign having been fulfilled on the cross with Christ. But the sign itself does not save. And Paul is calling them then mutilators, dogs. Dogs. He's saying, these are hounds of hell that are barking, that are snarling, that are frightening you. And he says, I consider it all rubbish. You know, he joins in and says, now, if they, if they, if they wanted to compete with me, I would be better than all of them. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he says of the tribe of Benjamin, and he goes on, not even giving his educational credentials, not even giving some of the other credentials that would actually top some of them, but enough to say, if you want to go that route, I'll I'll, uh, play ball with you. I'll go one-on-one with you. But that's, that's futile. It's ridiculous. Well... You say, oh that's, oh, that's a really good uh, exegetical history lesson about that passage. What's it got to do with New Year's 2017? There's hardly a week that goes by in my ministry that I do not talk to someone who is running from dogs. who is running from the snarling, biting dogs of their past, the hounds of hell, which are accusing them and saying, you've got to do this to be in a right relationship with God. How can you go forward with God? After what you've done, biting and snarling. And so it's hard to go forward when you spend your life running from these hounds of hell, barking, when you're always frightened. About the sounds from the past. Like a pack of pit bulls surrounding you. Accusing you. And yes, they're hounds from hell accusing you. The devil is an accuser. And he brings up every sin. And he brings up every mistake. And he corners you. I thought this week about Corrie Ten Boom. Some of you may not be familiar with her movie, The Hiding Place, based on her autobiographical book, The Hiding Place. She and her family were Dutch Reformed Christians during World War II. Her, her father, a very devout Dutch Reformed Christian, her brother, a Dutch Reformed pastor living there in, in the Netherlands. And they, they hid the Jews during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. Not only was Nazi Germany suspicious of the Dutch Reformed Church for its resistance, but they were suspicious of this family, and they raided the house and eventually caught the family Corey Tinboon and her sister were taken to a Nazi concentration camp. And it was there that her her sister, underneath the brutality of a concentration camp guard, uh, was killed. Despite her faith, Corey Timboon looked to her sister as a heroine in the faith for her, her gentleness and her meekness, even under persecution. Years later, in the late 1940s, early 1950s, she was touring America, and in fact, she spoke from the pulpit where I preached at First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga during those years. But she was actually preaching in Europe when this incident happened. She was talking about forgiveness. And as she was talking about forgiveness, she she told the story of her sister and the guard and how he worked her to death and beat her. And afterwards, she had coffee and greeted people in the audience. And a very happy A very large fellow came up to her, and she looked into his face, and she was stricken with fear. It was the guard. And he said, Here, or Madam Temple, I am the guard. She didn't speak. And I have received forgiveness from God, from Jesus Christ, and now I, I have come here to ask you for forgiveness too. And Corey Timboon said that she realized that there was unforgiveness in her own life, and the hounds surrounded her in that moment. But she realized also that Jesus Christ had forgiven her, and she knew she had no other choice but to forgive that Nazi, former Nazi prison guard. And she said, my brother, I have no other choice but to forgive you. And the guard embraced her, which she found difficult to receive. And he wept and said, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And she gave what I call declarative forgiveness. But it took a while for her to move through emotional forgiveness. But she did. And eventually, she was free. But during that time of several years, she would wake up startled. by that moment. So she went to see a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, and said, Pastor, I, I, I said that I forgave him, and yet I find myself in nightmares of unforgiveness. And the Lutheran pastor said, he was an older, wiser, retired Lutheran pastor, And said, I used to ring the bell in the village on Sunday mornings. And the harder I would ring the bell, the more the ding, the dawn. Go on. Well, you see, the harder I ring the bell, the more reverberation now the bell had already been rung to bring the people to church but the ding and the dong they kept going for a little while longer and then the ding and the dong they stopped Corey, what you experiencing they're just the ding and the dong and soon they'll be gone He was telling her, You're experiencing the emotional, natural human reverberation of this dramatic event, the dramatic event of giving forgiveness to one who killed your sister. You forgave in Christ, the act was done. It's okay. The Lord Jesus Christ will heal you. I call it emotional scar tissue. Scar tissue on the soul sometimes takes time, sometimes years. It's tender to the touch. Someone says something, someone does something, and you feel it again. Oh, ah, ah. But over time, through word, sacrament, and prayer, God heals. This is what happened to Paul. Over time, the ding dong, ding dong gets more distant. The barking of the dogs goes away. The scar tissue is just a scar tissue, it becomes more of a testimony. But as you go into twenty seventeen, as you go into the rest of your life, don't listen to those dogs. Now, the Apostle Paul makes a pivot, as I said, from the past to the future. And he does it in a wondrous way. And when he pivots toward the future, it is a future that is in Christ. It is a future that that shows us that he is... Now, looking, not, he says, look out for the dogs, but now he's saying, look forward for the future. Not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfect, but I'm pressing on. I'm putting those other things behind me. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Look out for the dogs. Look forward to the day. Look forward to the day. Begin to cultivate the vision. You've heard the saying, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. But C.S. Lewis said that it's just the opposite. When you become so earth-heavenly-minded, those who were most heavenly-minded have done the best for the earth Those who are so heavenly-minded have have treated others the best on earth. Those who are so heavenly-minded have planted the hospitals, have started uh, the homes, the orphanages, have, have done so much for others because they are filled with heaven. That's what worship is week in and week out we come together in our liturgies in some way in differing ways according to the denomination and the church the locale we in some way recreate heaven on earth we seek to represent the angelic choirs we seek to represent the glory that is happening eternally in heaven here and to remind ourselves week by week this is our divine destiny Not just to sit on a cloud and play a harp, but to be fulfilled as human beings in a way that we can't even imagine. And certainly a large part of that is being part of that congregation of the faithful gathered in family around our Heavenly Father who created us with our Savior who loved us and died for us our elder brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul uses language in the Greek, which is like exercise language. And that may be a goal for many of you in 2017. He uses that language here. He says he wants to strain forward for that goal. Strain. His life is... is it's strenuous his spiritual exercises as he's longing for that looking forward to that day oh those barking dogs you know what those barking dogs are doing they think they're driving him away they're driving him to god the barking dogs think they're driving him to guilt they're driving him to the savior who removes the guilt Just like the winds that were supposed to be sending the prison ship as a wreck against the islands uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, in the book of Acts, those winds were winds sending Paul to share the gospel where even the kings of the islands were receiving Christ. People were being healed and ultimately he was sent to the pinnacle of the greatest empire on earth to share the gospel. In the very household of Caesar, the very winds which were seeking to destroy Paul were the winds that were bringing him to God's destiny. The barking dogs are sending us to Christ. The pain of your past is being transformed by the Lord of time to bring you to the Savior. And you will find on the day when you walk through the glorious portal of life into heaven that the very things that sought to hurt you and to destroy you or to hurt your faith because of faith in Jesus Christ were the things that led you home. Because, you see, this is the cross. This is, we live under the power of the cross. The instrument of pain has become the sign of salvation. And the closed tomb of defeat has become the open grave of victory. I've never met a man like him in my life. His name was Colonel Roger Ingleson. He was one of our elders at our church in Chattanooga, but, well, the word hero is thrown around way too much. Colonel Ingleson was a hero, an American hero. He was a fighter pilot in the Vietnam War. On his 87th mission, he was shot down over North Vietnam and he was imprisoned in the Hanoi Hilton with John McCain and many others. Roger spent his first year in solitary confinement in the darkness with only a slither of light coming through when they slipped bread and water through the top of the door. He could barely turn around in the room. It was about 13 months in that room. Roger told me, he said, when I was a pilot, the world was at my feet, and I was living it up. Young man from Minnesota, and now flying these great aircraft. Didn't think much about God, but I had been reared in a godly home, in a Lutheran church, and every Sunday we said the Apostles' Creed, sang the glory of pottery, and said the Lord's Prayer. And when I was in that blackness and pain of captivity for 13 months... Those are the words that came back to me. And I was saved. I recited the Apostles' Creed. I sang the Gloria Patri, And I prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I asked God to forgive me of my sins and for Christ to save me. And after 13 months when they removed me and beat me and moved me to another cell, I was a new man. And I had never been happier in all of my life. Those were hard, hard years. His first wife died. And the way he was told... Was inhumane, and they taunted him and played with his emotions. And to recount that is too awful to say, or to recount his other persecutions, would is simply not appropriate here. But I want to tell you, and my wife will testify, I've not known too many men who were happier. And Colonel Roger Engelson. You say, doesn't that kind of persecution leave deep emotional wounds? Doesn't that kind of past experience damage you? Yes. I am certain that Roger Ingelson heard the hounds of hell barking many times. But they were to him just dings and dongs. Because Christ had transformed the very thing that sought to destroy him into his testimony. And he used the persecution and his forgiveness of his captors to tell many people around the country, including with the Billy Graham Crusades, about what God had done for his life and how God transforms the pain of our past into the glory of our future through Jesus Christ. It was a quiet man by nature, but he had this sort of hilarious streak that ran through him that was the presence of Christ transforming the deep pain because the bell had been rang so loudly, had been rung so loudly The cord pulled, the rope pulled so strongly. It reverberated so much in his life. But all the more reverberations were turned into praise. That's what Jesus does for each and every one of us when we turn to him. In different ways, yes. In different timing, of course. There's some of you today who need to look out for those dogs and you need to look to the day. The day, the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ in his kingdom. His kingdom which has come. A kingdom which offers you life and new life and eternal life today as you repent and receive him. As you forgive others As you receive forgiveness from others. As you receive forgiveness from God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who is able to apply your word to our lives. There are many dogs that bark, but you silence these creatures with your word from the cross, forgive. With your word from the cross, it is finished. With the word from Mary, he is risen.